What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and with me, as always, on the other end of the line is my co-host, Curtis. And, uh, well, guys, I thought last week's home game against Mississippi State, I thought that was as awesome as a stadium experience as I've had in, in recent years. But I might have spoken just a bit too soon because Saturday inside Neyland Stadium, I mean, Kurt, you were there too, man. It was a pretty epic pretty epic experience, was it not? Yeah, I mean, it was it was rocking the first couple minutes, but you know, once they went down to nothing, you could, like I said, you know, when you if you got on the Merle, you could see it. They just practically the fan base, everyone had given up. Yeah, they wanted to believe. They wanted to believe, but uh, it didn't take us too long to take that away from them. But I mean, look, beating Mississippi State the way we did after so many people around the nation were picking us to lose that game, that was awesome. But that was Mississippi State. I don't harbor any long-standing antipathy towards those guys. Tennessee, however, is a very different story. I, I flat out hate Tennessee. I hate Orange. I hate that crap town. I hate their fans. I hate everything about them. So to beat them like we did was awesome. And to be in the stadium while we did it, that's something I'm, I'm probably not going to forget for a long time here, if ever. So uh, it's just kind of been a long time coming. It was, it was pretty awesome. But before we get into exactly how that went down and what it means, we have just a few quick business items to run through. Uh, if you guys are not following us on Twitter, make sure you check us out at Glory underscore UGA. We'd love to hear your thoughts and, and interact with you guys there. You can also email us, podcast at gmail.com. And you can also check out our Glory UGA podcast Facebook page, whatever works for you guys there. Uh, we also uh, want to make sure our, some of our newer listeners know, know that you guys can find us on a number of different podcasting platforms out there. Obviously, the big ones, iTunes, SoundCloud, you know, the Stitcher and TuneIn app. You can also find us on the dogsportsradio.com internet radio site, part of the vSport oh, internet radio network. So hopefully one or two of those work really well for you guys. Whatever it works, that works for us. But uh, all right, now that we got that stuff out of the way, Kurt, let's go ahead and dig into this, man. So, Kurt, that was the first time we had shut Tennessee out in Neyland Stadium since 1923. That's the... From what I can gather, that was the second worst loss in Tennessee football program history. It's the first time they've been shut out at all since 1994. I think they had the sixth longest streak in the nation uh, of scoring points in games. So first time since 1994, 20 plus years. So Kurt, how were we able to do all of that? Um, really, I mean, it was mainly our defense. I mean, there was a couple times, um, you know, like the pick and everything where uh, – we put our defense in a bad situation. You know, Tennessee really hurt themselves, and our defense did the rest of it. I mean, it was a little self-inflicted by their offense and just how inept their offense is, but also, you know, how quick and fast our defense is. Yeah, I mean, that's the first thing you have to mention. You cannot talk about our performance Saturday without talking about just the dominance that we put out there defensively. We, we just flat-out dominated them from a defensive standpoint. We, we didn't let them breathe for a second. You're right, you know, offense turned the ball over here and there. For the defense in some bad spots. And last year, I want to give this defense some credit. Last year, what would have happened in those situations? Um, last year, we would uh, they would have scored. I mean, last year. They would have scored touchdowns. Them. Yeah, the biggest thing last year was, I mean, especially in the Tennessee game, for instance, um, the touchdown before the end of the half. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, just when we're put in those situations. Because defenses, you can't con- sometimes you can't control, as a defense, what situation you are put in. When you're put in a situation like that, your job is to put out the fire. And last year... We simply could not put out the fires like that. When we got in, when teams got in the red zone, not only were they scoring, they were scoring touchdowns on about a 75% clip. And this year it has been absolutely turned around. Through five games, only allowing touchdowns 40% of the time our opponents are in the red zone. So, well, and not only that, but like, like um, you know, the biggest thing also the defense, I mean, we go up 17 nothing, and we go out there and get a pick on the very first play back. I mean, we were, yep. we were going out there and, Breaking the breaking their hearts. I mean, breaking their spirits. I mean, there was no that that. I mean, they were going into halftime being booed after that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was just all the way around defensively. It was a dominant performance. We got turnovers when we need to get turnovers. Uh, when they when they dig it over the fifty, which wasn't very often. I think what, what, maybe two times got over the fifty yard line. I believe, I believe once by themselves and once with our once turnovers. with us. Right, absolutely. So two times total there, and uh, when that happened, we just we we shut them down. We completely. Shut them down. I mean, what I tweeted out, I know it's kind of lame, but you know, I'm a, I'm a child of the 90s. And I tweeted this out after the game. Is I mean, as a team, we did it, but really defensively more than anything, we flat out went Mortal Kombat on them and finished them. Like, we finished them. I mean, 41 to nothing. I mean, in that stadium, I mean, I've been to a lot of Georgia games in Neyland Stadium, and it, they've always been nail biters. 
never has it been anything remotely approaching what we saw Saturday. This is just a different Georgia team, and it really all starts to finish. So I think you're absolutely right in pointing that out as the first point here. And one thing we talked about on the preview show on Thursday was that for us to shut down John Kelly, which is their biggest weapon, right? As a Demons coordinator, your goal is to take away what the opponent does best. And John Kelly is their best player, running the football with him and getting him involved in the passing game is what they do best. So it was going to be key for us to take him out of the game. And to do so, I felt it was very critical that our front seven was going to have to take him out of the game and kind of stifle him before he got going, before he got to the second level. Because once he gets to the second level, that's where he's dangerous. He can make people miss in space and create those explosive plays. So we had to play big up front with our demons flying. Roquan and Nature had to do what they do and keep him from getting into those situations. We had to get, we basically had to stop him before he got going. And we did exactly that all day long. Uh, and you kind of mentioned this also at the outset here. I think it was really key. You and I were talking about this before the game. I mentioned this a little bit on the show last week. But uh, it was really critical. It's always critical in any game to start fast. But some games, more than others, it takes on a greater magnitude. I think this is one of those games where you know, they, they brought out all the stops, right? They wear the smoky gray uniforms, they do the checkerboard. They bring back Peyton Manning, right? Yeah, I mean, everything. Right, they, they, were, they were trying to build whatever fake juice they possibly could. And they wanted to believe, right? You mentioned that. It was pretty loud to start the game. They wanted to believe, okay? And they were looking for any sliver of hope to make that belief turn into some momentum and kind of into steamrollers from there. They wanted it. But we, from from the first snap of the game, interception, we jumped on. Now, I wish we would. Now, I tweeted out at the time, you know, I wish that first uh, interception were turned into, into seven points instead of a field goal. I was hoping that wouldn't come back to hurt us because it has in the past. But like I said, this is a different team. And obviously, it did not come back to hurt us. But we, we get that pick. Uh, steal the momentum from the get-go. We do convert it into at least points, three points there. Uh, then we get another quick touchdown, 10 nothing. We're out fast. And like I said, they wanted to believe. But that fan base and that team right now, they're so fragile that I knew it wouldn't take much for them to fall apart. So when we were able to jump on them fast, and then you add the defensive dominance to the point where we just didn't let them breathe at all, and then finally, offensively, it was it was rough there after after, after we jumped out to the ten nothing lead about for about a quarter midway through the first quarter to about midway, midway through the second quarter we were kind of sloppy offensively we really weren't executing very well at all uh, but about midway through the second quarter through the rest of the game we really started to execute offensively and just absolutely ran away with it it was I mean I just I honestly it has been a long time since I've seen a performance like that from a Georgia football team and I know Tennessee's not very good I told you guys that last week we were going through the matchups in the, in the preview show. I thought that every single matchup in this game favored us. Some more than others, but every single matchup, I thought that we had the advantage, and it played out that way. I, you don't just because you. I mean, just because you have the matchup advantage doesn't always mean you're going to win games. The the most talented team typically wins games, but there's always weird situations where you get to a loud environment, where the team's desperate, their backs against the wall, and they get a couple turnovers, and they get some special teams, uh, big plays, something like that. They hit some big vertical shots down the field, and all of a sudden the better team is losing. That that could have happened, but. Again, this is a different football team. We are not letting that happen, at least not through five games. So a lot of factors there. I think defense is big, starting fast, offense starts to execute for most of the game. All those factors just kind of coalesce in this incredible, huge 41 nothing victory on the road against Tennessee. So, Kurt, 41 nothing, man. 41 nothing. I said, I mean, this is the second worst loss in Tennessee program history. And we did that to them. So the second question here is, how good are we? How good is this 2017 Georgia football team? I think we're actually really good. I think the thing is that our depth is not exactly where we want it to be fully at some of these positions, but we're actually starting to build some of these quality depth. Some of these younger guys are really opening things up for us. I mean, especially the injury to Malcolm Parrish, as bad as it was when it happened, um, it actually helped create a little bit more depth in the secondary for us. And uh, the one thing I really want to say, especially defensively, which – was a liability last year, but has really become a strength of us this year, is last year we struggled man-to-man. This year mm-hmm. our defense plays man-to-man most of the time, and they're a lot more successful. And, and because of that, it allows us to open up blitzes and it allows us to do different things with our front seven, which is really you've seen it kind of happen. Yeah, I've talked about that a couple of times in the past week or so. I think that's the most underrated aspect of – how we're performing at such a high level defensively is the fact that our corners are able to hold up in the bump and run man coverage that Kirby wants to run. Is what he did at Alabama. We tried to do it last year. And that's what Kirby knows to do. That's that's how he knows to play defense. I know he, he tries to downplay it. It's not my defense. It's, it's Mel Tucker's. Sure, it's Mel Tucker's defense, but Kirby has his hands in it too. 
they want to play bump and run. We wanted to do that last year. We tried, and we got burned. I mean, the old match still have nightmares that old Miss game and just bomb after bomb after bomb after bomb. Even first half against Missouri too. Uh, but we, we we couldn't really hold up consistently in that in those looks last year. But this year it's a totally different story. DeAndre Baker has really kind of picked up where he left off last year. Tyreek McGee has been a revelation coming in and really seeing playing time, significant playing time for the first time in his career. He's primarily a special teams guy last year. He's playing so well right now that Malcolm Parrish, although he's back from injury, is is really playing. A, he, he's he's a role player now. He's coming in in the dime packages in those third long situations, obvious passing downs, and that's where that's when he's playing. So I think you're absolutely honest with me. By virtue of the fact that we're able to play that bump and run man coverage and and, and and hold up against those looks, that allows us to pay more attention to shutting down the run, dedicate more bodies to the line of scrimmage to slow down a, a, a running back like John Kelly. The caliber of John Kelly, guy who is the leading rusher in the league coming into, to, into Saturday's game, we were able to con- entirely take him out of the game because our corners were able to hold up and bump and run man coverage for the fifth game in a row. We didn't do it. It was weird. At Sanford, we went to a lot of we had a lot of zone looks. But that was the only game where we where we kind of came out in those types of looks against Notre Dame with a receiver of the caliber of Equinemius St. Brown with Mississippi State with a receiver of the caliber of Donald Gray, who's not quite as good as Equinemius St. Brown. He's still a good player. And you got Marquez Callaway uh, over there with Tennessee. We were those are those are all legitimate wide receivers, explosive playmakers, and we were able to completely shut them down. So, I, I think that's a really key aspect of why we've been able to shut the run down and just be able to perform overall as well as we have defensively. So, it's a great point there. Uh, look, man, I, I think how good is our defense right now? Where would you put really this? Good. The thing is, I think we're really solid up front. And our speed is really showing. I mean, there were times, especially you know where we were sitting, where John Kelly would try to go up the middle, and it was it was you know there was, it was a traffic jam, nothing there, and he would try to bounce it outside. Well, then you had Roquan and Natres, people like that, coming and cleaning it up. Where it's other teams like that that he's faced, he's been able to get on the outside because they don't have the team speed we do. Well, yeah. with our speed, we were able to you know stop him from getting to the outside and really take him away, take him out of his game. It's really you're you're right. It's it's a combination of so many different things. I mean, I always say football is the ultimate team sport because you, no no one player can do it on their own. I mean, some players. Oh well, yeah, I mean, you're 100 percent right. It really is. I mean, like people like John Levitt or certain people are are you know holding the edge, doing their job. Because I mean, there's a play where Bellamy went out and DeAndre Walker came in. This play just stuck my mind. And Walker kind of goes slants inside, yeah. doesn't hold the edge as well, and they it wasn't Kelly, but it was, I think it was another back, running back, and you know gets a like a twelve yard run. I think it was Ty Chandler. Yeah, Ty Chandler. Yeah, and you know just seeing that, and that that's right there, and that's just, you know and that's one thing that really you know we're seeing is it made me realize you know how much how well our guys like Ledbetter, Bellamy, and them are doing at holding the edge. Yeah, I mean it, it really is. Everybody's they have a, obviously if you play defense football, you have a role to play. And right now, everybody is playing their role. I don't want to say to perfection, but pretty damn close to it. Uh, like you said, you got guys like Gledbetter, you got Devin Bellamy, you've got Marshall out there, you've got Carter when he's playing that role, setting the edge, doing your job, not uh, not trying to, to to slant inside to make a play and kind of freelancing like, like we've done in the past. Let's be real, we've done that a lot in the past. These same guys, but they have learned, they've grown up. They're not doing that. And you got a guy like John John Atkins who's just eating up blocks on the interior, letting guys like Roquan Smith and Natres Patrick just run freely to, all over the field to make tackles. And you, of course, you've got Roquan, you got Natres doing their thing, running sideline to sideline. Uh, so that front seven is just—it's one cohesive unit. They're all—they all have a role. They're all doing their jobs, and of course, you got to add in the back end to it as well. Those guys are tackling in space. I mean, think about it. We uh, Kirby was talking about how he didn't—he wasn't happy with how we tackled in that game. I, I mean, I—I—I I, I appreciate the fact that he's a stickler for detail, and and that's one of the things that makes him such a good coach. But I think we're practicing—we're tackling pretty darn well, man, throughout this year, especially in space. I mean, the, the play that Malcolm Parrish had uh, late in the game there, when he was basically one on one. With a running back out in space, if he misses that tackle, it's a huge game. He comes up and just absolutely blisters him. Just completely beautiful form tackle. He was the only guy out there. They had it set up perfectly, except for Parrish, and Parrish made the play. So the whole defense, the the entirety of of our unit, they're all doing their jobs. And it's a beautiful thing. I mean, it hasn't been that way for us for a while, but they're all doing their thing. And we have, and let's be real, we have elite talent that side of the ball. And we've had elite talent. We've had elite ability. I mean, Lorenzo Carter's been in the, he's been in the, one of those just truly elite athletic type guys, but he hasn't put it all together. Roquan had a really good year last year, but he's taken to a whole other level. Trent Thompson, I know he missed most of this game. Hopefully we're praying he's all right. Fingers crossed. Knock on wood. We'll see. Um, but he's, he's kind of taking his game to another to another level. He's become more consistent. Jonathan Leather, the same thing. All of these guys, Devin Bellamy, 
Um, you say Dom Sanders. You could say Aaron Davis. All of these guys have taken their game to another level, and that's just raised uh, not just the profile of this defense, but the, the profile of our entire football team right now. Where would you put? Talk about how good this team is. Where would you situate us right now in the SEC standings overall? And when, regardless of divisions, if you just had the SEC one through fourteen, where would you situate us right now in this conference? I would definitely have to put us right behind Bama. And I think Auburn, while they have a good front seven, I don't think their secondary matches up as well as our secondary does. Yeah, I think Auburn's defense is really good. Don't get me wrong. They are good. I just think our defense is better. And you can call me a homer if you want, but I think you're right. I think we're better in the back end than Auburn is right now. Yeah, that's I think we're I think better up. I think we're better up. I mean, I, I do. I think we're better up front. I mean, I know they got some guys like Derrick Brown. I think, yeah, I think we have more depth. And I, I like their linebackers are good, okay? Deshaun Davis is a really good linebacker. But he, he's not. Roquan Smith, man, he's just not. We 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 just have more elite playmakers on our defense right now than Auburn. So they're really good. Don't get me wrong, they are. Uh, I would say that we're clearly the second or third best team in this league. I think Auburn is the only other legitimate challenger at this point to Alabama. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, I think it's us and Auburn. And Auburn, the thing about Auburn, they had they kind of they had some struggles offensively to start the season, but it looks like they're finally starting to hit their stride offensively over these last two games. And look, we're going to sell that later in the season. You know, we're going to play them uh, in Auburn here a couple weeks, a couple months down the road. So we'll settle that. But I think we are clearly the second or third best team in this league. And if you're the second or third best team in the league, you give yourself a chance to win a championship. And I know there's a lot of football left to be played, and I don't want to get ahead of ourselves too much here. But are we good enough through five games? And this is just conjecture, sheer conjecture through five games. Are we good enough to... Let's say if we happen, I mean, there's a lot, of, like I said, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, a lot of football left to be played. But let's say we somehow find our way in Atlanta that first week in December. Are we good enough to legitimately challenge Alabama for the SEC title? Um, you know, I think it'll be close the first half, but in all honesty, their depth is what kills us. I mean, you saw against Tennessee, we struggled to run the ball at the beginning of the game, and we, could, we they were getting a lot of pressure in yeah. the passing and run situations, but we kind of wore them down. Well, that's not the case with a team like that who can just keep rotating guys in and out. Yeah, I know we've had, so what, the past two games, we, what, we've won by a combined 72-3. to Is that right? And I know everybody yeah. looks at that and says, oh, man, God, we, we, could, we absolutely could beat Bama. Yeah, well, sure, we could, but in the same same time span, Alabama's won, what was it, 100-3? to like, or what, no, no so more than that. So I'll take that back. Like 60, yeah, let me take that back. 66, we do the quick math here. 66, 59. And 59 the week before. So, so 125 to 3? 125, wow. 125 to 3 if my math is correct. I suck at math, but we're going we're gonna to go with that. Uh, so, oof, I mean, okay, look, we are a very good football team. Okay, We are much better than we have been in a long time. And like I just said, I think we're clearly the second or third best team in the league. But are we at Alabama's level yet? No, we're not there yet. We're getting there. We're we're getting close. I think we are clearly the heir apparent to Alabama. And I don't mean that's I don't mean that to say that we're gonna take we're gonna take the the SEC baton this year or even next year. But I think in the next couple of years, to save it, I mean I know he's got a couple more years, but and he might kill probably coach till he dies. But we are Kirby is setting this program up to be the heir apparent to the Alabama dynasty. And I'm not saying that we're ever gonna be as dominant as Bama has been over this past ten year plus run or whatever. But we're setting ourselves up to be that next team in the SEC to kind of do something similar to what Alabama has done. Now, we've got to do it. We've got to continue to build our depth. We've got to continue to play at a high level in the field. And we've got to actually win the big games, which we started to do. I mean, this is a pretty big game. I know Tennessee, I don't think, is very good. Mississippi State was a big game. I think the jury's still out on how good Mississippi State really is. But we're starting to put together performances in in those primetime games where we used to kind of wet the bed. So, uh, I mean, think about a couple years back in a situation like this where Tennessee's back's against the wall, they come out swinging, we, we might not have responded. I mean, I've seen situations like that where we just kind of lay down and, and let them roll over us. But that wasn't the case this year. So, look, I think when it comes to Alabama and potentially challenging them for an SEC title, I think the talent level is – look, they are more talented than us right now. They have more better players than we do. They just – they do. But – or more better, does that even make sense? They have more, let's say, plus, that makes no sense. They have more plus-type players than we do, more impact players than we do. But I still say that it's clo- it, a matchup between us and Alabama will be close enough to where it would be subject to what I call the any given Saturday rule, to where any given Saturday, if we come out and play really well, play our A game, and they, and they play a little bit below what they normally do, that we would have a chance. Now, if, the, if we both bring our A games, they're better than us, they'd beat us. But I think that... We we at least have a shot. We'll see. And we got a lot of football left to play and see how the rest of the season develops. But uh, I, I'm obviously very encouraged by what we've seen so far 
to this point. Uh, all right, Kurt, so I want to talk about something that's maybe not quite as pleasant. Obviously, we are doing a lot of good things on both sides of the ball, but where are we still in need of improvement? If we want to truly contend for championships in 2017, if we truly want to challenge Alabama or anyone else in 2017, not just get to Atlanta, but actually have a chance to win, where are we still most in need of improvement for that to happen? Uh, I got to say offensively, I mean, you know, I mean, Sean played a good game and had some good, you know, good. he did some good things here and there. But we can't win a big game with 84 yards passing. Nope. Well, I mean, okay, you can if you run the ball for 300 yards. But when you yeah, play a team like Alabama, you can't. Or Auburn, that's not going to be the case. You're not going to run Florida, the ball for 300. Yeah, you're Florida, not going to run. not going to be the case. Yeah, you might, you might get 150, 175, whatever, but you're not going to run for 300 yards. You're just not. No. So that, I, that's the first thing I have here. Number one, sitting there watching that game. The guy was having a, a heck of a time in, the, in that stadium, man, just going crazy, living every second of that up. Uh, but we have got to be able to throw the football more consistently and more efficiently. Now, Fromm was really efficient against Mississippi State, but then he follows it up on the road with a 7-for-15 performance. What, 84 yards? Is that what it was? Yeah, and one pick and could have been more. It, it, honestly, it should have been three picks. Okay, it should have been three picks. And I know it, it, it kind of just goes. And we'll talk about Easton and Fromm here in a second. But if that was Jacob Easton, where he should have thrown three picks, what would the, what would the conversation be about right now? Um, put his ass on a put his put his butt on a plane back to Washington. Yeah, it's like oh my god, he should have thrown three picks. Now with Fromm, we would we'll say oh we won the game, we won the game. Okay, we don't want to make mention the fact that he they really threw he made three bad decisions that all three could have been picked. One of them was. Actually, one of them wasn't a bad – the one that got picked wasn't a bad decision. It was just a horrible throw. He threw it way out in front of the receiver. The play was there. It was open. He just threw it way out in front of the receiver. It was a very inaccurate throw, which is not typically what you're used to seeing from Jay Fromm. That's one of his – the the uh, better attributes he has is he's a little more accurate than maybe Eason was last year. But, yeah, I mean, he's I, – I just say overall we've got to throw the football more consistently and throw it more efficiently. We've been able to get by without it. Not only, not only that, but we got to be smarter. I mean – you know, we get sometimes onto the times, especially last year, we get on Eason for not hitting the open guy. I mean, that very first drive, you know, that you and I are texting about it, that made me worried because that could have been what Tennessee needed. We got, yeah, we got a field goal, but we should have had seven because Sony's wide open for a touchdown out of the, you know, go, you know, on the on wheel. wheel out of the backfield. And you, I mean, you saw Kirby come on to meet from on the field with his hat off, just screaming. Yeah, and and that's the fact. I mean, we've got to have some better reads too. And Kirby made reference to it after the game, too. They asked him, obviously, he was asked about the quarterback performance and the situation with Easton getting some time. And he flat out said, Jake's got to make better decisions. He, uh, he was. Well, yeah, not only that, he said, you know, he said, he said there were times where I don't know what he was throwing or what he was even thinking. Yeah. And he made clear, he made it clear to say that the quarterbacks are graded on their decisions, the decisions that they make. And let's be, I mean, I, you guys know, I, I say this every time I talk about it. I love Jake Fromm. But I'm trying to be as objective about this as possible. He made some he made some poor decisions, some that that could have resulted in an in interception and probably should have, and some that where he just left points on the field. Like you, like you said, on that first drive after we get the the game the opening interception uh, on that first play of the game, and you got Sony running down the sideline wide open, and he chooses to throw it to Nada. And look, uh, and I know progressions. You know, maybe Nada was the first read in the progression. Okay, if Nada was the first read in the progression, that's great. But he was covered. Okay, the, he was not there. If that's the case, then you go on to the next read of the progression, which, I, I, again, I don't know who the next read of the progression was, but at some point, hopefully you would you would realize the next read is Sony. And it looks yeah, like I mean, from, from Kirby's some, reaction... There some type of read for Kirby to be that bad. Yeah, based on Kirby's reaction, it looks like Jake just missed the read. Okay, or what, and Look, we don't know what the reads are. We don't know what the plays were. But based on how Kirby reacted, it looks like it probably was something that Jake should have done and he and, or should have read and should have seen, and he did not. Um, so and, and again, that could have hurt us. I guess a better team... When you leave four points, like, the difference between getting seven and three is big. If you're playing Alabama and Atlanta, potentially down the road, you better get seven. If that play is there and the opportunity presents itself, you better hit Sony for a touchdown because you're not going to beat a team like Alabama. You're not going to beat Florida. You're not going to beat Auburn by scoring three points in those situations. You've got to capitalize when those opportunities present themselves. And it, the opportunities presented itself. We just didn't hit it there. Now, fortunately, we were just way better than Tennessee. We were significantly more talented. just all about a better football team this year. So we were able to compensate for that. But against better teams, I don't know if you can sit here and say that's going to be the case. And that, that's that's one thing I, that concerns me. We, look, we haven't had to throw the football to win football games. We've been able to get by without it. But like we've been saying, at some point against the better defense on our schedule where we won't be able to just run wild on them, we will have to be able to throw it to win a game. And we just haven't had to yet. So I'm just 
I'm not saying we can't do it. We, I just haven't seen it from us this year. Jake played really well, excuse me, last week against Mississippi State. But I think a lot of that was the fact that Jim Chaney just dialed up a lot of great plays. Now, to give uh, from credit, when the opportunities were there, he hit them. He put the ball on the money with those plays. But still, the fact was, all those were very, very simple reads and very simple throws. He just had to put yeah, it out there and, and do that's it. that's one of the big things I focused on last week. Is I mean, like I said, he played a real good game. But a lot of those were, like you said, were very simple reads. And kind of Saturday where you saw where the where it wasn't more of a simple game plan, trying to you know, mix it up a little bit, things like that. Um, it wasn't as you know quick, easy decision making. Yeah, I guess I guess the bottom line here is I'm just concerned. That at some point, because it's going to happen at some point, it's bound oh, to happen. He's gonna be a freshman. Yeah, he, he's going to be a freshman, and at some point, there's some, we're going to face a defense, whether it's Florida, whether it's Alabama, whether it's Auburn, whoever it is. I don't know who it's going to be, but we're going to face a defense that's going to be able to slow down our running game, and we're going to have to be able to throw it with efficiency and with consistency to win the football game. And I just I don't know if I've seen that yet. I'm not saying we can't do it. I just we just haven't done it yet, and so until I see it, it's I'm something I'm going to be concerned about at least because there's, I mean, look, this team we're really good, all right. So there's there's not a ton of things to be concerned about, but I think that is one that bears mentioning and that we need to certainly be watching. I'll be watching very closely as the season continues to progress. There's one more thing here I, I want to mention. I've talked about this a couple times this season. Look, as I love our running backs, I think they're I think we have a great backfield, but I still think our backs need to improve on their ability to consistently make defenders miss in space. There were multiple, yes, multiple times, multiple times again on Saturday where our guys had one guy left between us and the end zone, and we couldn't make a miss. I'm talking about Nick. I'm talking about Sony, and nobody pays much attention to it because they were big gains, right? And people are satisfied enough with that. But against better teams, again, we're not always me playing Tennessee. Okay, this is a bad Tennessee football team. Against better teams where the potential margin of victory won't be so high. That could be the difference between winning and losing. I mean, one play in particular stands out. I mean, Sony busts one in the second half up the middle, uh, and he gets one-on-one with Nigel Warrior in space, right? It's about a 20-yard gain, and he he decides he just wants to try to run flat over Nigel Warrior, and he did. He ran over Warrior, but he still got brought down. In in that situation, he's got to put a move on Warrior and make him miss in space. If he makes Warrior miss, even put a stiff arm out there, if if he makes Warrior miss, that is a touchdown, okay? And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, it's great. It's great. It's a 20-yard gain. Yeah, we're excited. And I was excited too, but I'm sitting here saying, Man, that could have been an even bigger play. Could have been an even bigger play. And there are a couple more with Nick down the sideline. Uh, Nick played really well. I'm, I was so thrilled for him to get a 100-yard game coming back to Neyland Stadium like this, and I was, especially after how the, the, the straight trash Tennessee frat boys were, were, were talking about him and, and put all the signs up, all that trash. But I, I, just, I was thrilled for him. But he left some yards out there again too, down the sideline where he could have made a guy miss. And and, and made, made a, turned a big play into an even bigger play, an even more explosive play. And look, we've gotten by fine without it so far. But again, when we start playing better teams, we've got to start breaking those plays. I mean, we, we just simply have to. I mean, that's their job. The, the, the offensive line has done a really good job this year of getting those guys to second level. And, and Nick's been, Nick and Sony, they, they, at times, they've done a good job making guys miss in space. But it hasn't been as consistent as I think it needs to be, or as I would like it to be, especially when offensive line is giving them these opportunities at the second level. So that's something for me. I know that maybe I'm nitpicking here because I know they, they put up some big yardage totals too, but I would really like them to be able to break more tackles in space, whether it's, like I said, stiff arm, putting a move on somebody, whatever it is, keeping your balance, keeping your feet. I think we need to be more efficient doing that. Uh, and I, I think if we are, then this offense can become even more explosive down the stretch here. All right, we've kind of been uh, we've been tiptoeing around it here a little bit, and we talked about it some last week, but we gotta talk about this, man. Now that Jacob Eason is officially back and he has been cleared to play and has now seen some game time again, clearly the big question Kirby Smart is gonna have to face is going to be how he will handle the quarterback situation moving forward. He was already asked that question after the Tennessee game uh, in the in his post game press conference. So, Kerr, what I want us to do here, I want to tackle it this way. I want us to make a case, because I think there's a case that can be made for both guys. I think there's a case you can make for Jake Fromm and a case you can make for Jacob Eason. So I want to sit here for a few minutes and first make the case for Fromm and then turn around and make the case for Eason. So, Kurt, if you're Kirby Smart and you're looking at this, make the case for Jake Fromm to retain the starting job, even though Jacob Eason is now healthy and ready to go. Oh, I think the biggest argument for him is that, you know, he's shown, you know, continuity. We're winning right now. Um, he's getting more and more comfortable in the system. You know, why mess with, you know, one of the big arguments for most people is why mess with something that's working right now. And that's right. 
big thing is right now is it's going well. Um, and, you know, he's learning more of the playbook week in and week out, getting more and more comfortable. Um, and, you know, I think the one thing that he does have over Eason is just that he's more accurate. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to bring something up later when we do, you know, call outs in the show. But, um, you know, I just think his accuracy is the one thing that just separate, uh, you know, gives him the edge over Eason. Right. And again, I, I, you're 100% right. If you're looking at Eason as a freshman, but Easton is not a freshman anymore. Okay, comparing Easton, right? And, that, well, and that's that's the only thing I want to put out because I, I think people are are failing to mention that. And I talked about this last week. When you're comparing Easton as a freshman to Fromm as a freshman, you're comparing apples and oranges. It's a totally different scenario. Well, I'll get to that in a minute here when we make the case for Jacob Easton. But I just want to put that out there for a second. I, no, I think I, you're I right. Agree with that. I just think that's it's yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. If you're making the case for Jay Fromm, absolutely. He has, he, and, and here's the other argument. He's a good old Georgia boy. That's what everyone loves. Yeah, he's always wanted to be a Georgia boy. And look, I'm partial to that too, man. I, I love these guys that are Georgia boys and want to be and want, have wanted to be dogs all their lives. I, and like, I can't sit here and say that I'm not sensitive to that. But I, I, I don't think that can that can factor in. If you're the head coach, that can't factor into your decision. Well, no, I think it's the fact of that he you know lives and dreams. You know, the whole thing is George football's his life type thing. You know sure. that he, he, you know, he's driven type thing. Oh sure, yeah. And, and I, and I, I think, think there's a misnomer too. But people say, oh, he's a great leader. He has more respect than Eason, which isn't true. But he does have a lot of respect. Yeah, people, I mean, the guys play hard for him. But when you say that's kind of a slight on Eason, saying the guys didn't play hard well, for him, it's and not I don't, true. But that's yeah. what people believe it to be. They yeah. act like he has no respect. Yeah, absolutely. Among his uh, his his team, yeah, I think you're right there. But yeah, I mean, just kind of echoing what you said. If I'm making the case for Jake Fromm, look, he's he's done everything that's been asked of him, and, and we are. Let's be let's be real. We are five and zero with Jake Fromm under center. You cannot overlook that. He's been poised, and he has absolutely not cost us a game. And I think that that as a true freshman, yeah, that's, that's, that's important. Yeah, I definitely miss Peter Ryan. Yeah, I mean, as a true freshman, I mean, true freshman. That's that's what they do. They cost teams games, and you kind of you put a true freshman, you kind of just grit your teeth. Say, you know what? I know it's going to hurt us down at some point, but. You know, it's it's for our long term benefit, right? You know, you just you gotta you gotta you gotta take the lumps here. He's gonna grow from and get better. But although he has taken some lumps, he has not cost us a game. He has not been obviously we're five and zero, so we haven't lost a game. But he's not been the reason we've lost a game. Uh, and and I think up until Saturday, I think he had improved with every single game. And it, it's tough to say like, it's tough to say he didn't show improvement Saturday because that really was his first time playing in an environment anywhere close. To that kind of hostile environment on the road, so I know his numbers weren't as great as, as probably his worst. It was his worst numbers on the year in any one given game, but it was also yeah factor in the context a, a tough environment, the likes of which he had not ever played in before. I mean, and the bottom line is it's it's very difficult to bench a guy when the team is playing so well with him under center. It risks messing with the chemistry, and like you said, Kurt, it's the whole why mess with a good thing concept. And I am very sensitive to that. I totally understand that this idea that look. You got a good thing going right now, so why would you want to fix it if it ain't broken? I'm very sensitive to that, and it, it would make it. If I'm the head coach, that would make this a very, very tough decision for me because things are going really well right now, and do you really want to potentially risk messing with that? I and that's that's a tough call. It really is. I mean, Fromm has done a really good job doing everything he's asked of him. It hasn't been perfect, but he's growing. He's learning. Um, he's doing some really good things for us. He's helping us. He's definitely he's been a contributing factor to us winning games. Uh, but saying that, okay, now let's make the case for Jacob Beeson. Saying all of that, while we are five and zero right now, let me ask you this, Curtis: Are we five and zero because of Jake Fromm? No, not at all. I mean, that's one of my biggest things. Is he? It, we haven't won a game solely because of him. Right. Where you know he's yet to be put in a situation where he saw Easton flourish. Not once, but twice as a true freshman. Yeah, I mean, I, that, that, this is the question I keep asking myself. I'm like, I'm like, yes, we're five and zero. Do we want to take Fromm out when you're five and zero? When he's he's been such a part of this, you can mess with chemistry. Like, do you really want to mess with a good thing? I, like I said, I'm sensitive to that argument, but I, have to, I keep asking myself: Are we five and zero because of Jake Fromm? Is he the reason we have won any game? And I, to me, right now, I have to say the answer is no. He, look, he certainly has been a contributing factor. Okay, he's helped us win games. He's done a lot of good things. But can anyone really say with a straight face that we wouldn't probably also be 5-0 at this point with Jacob Eason at quarterback? Can you really say I that? Mean, Notre Dame game, when, yeah, we only won by one game, but one we point. played with a, you know, a very, very simple playbook on yeah. purpose. I think that's one reason we only won by one. Yeah, and look, I can't sit here and say we would be 5-0 with Eason at quarterback. But I can't say we wouldn't either. I mean, it's a completely hypothetical situation. That's, like you said, I think 
last week. You said we just don't know. Yeah, I mean we've just, yeah we've we won. Don't know if the offense could be better this year. Exactly. Like we're I think we're five and zero right now. I don't want to say in spite of quarterback play, but we're five and zero with okay play from the quarterback position. I mean, from and I'm not coming down on from. He's a true freshman. He's played really well for a true freshman. He's probably played, he's been more consistent and efficient than Eason was to this point. Now, he hasn't had the huge passing numbers that Eason had. He had a couple games, you know, obviously against Missouri. Had a big game against Tennessee also that should have come back and won it for us. And yeah, he played pretty well against Vanderbilt too. Uh, but I just I don't know if you can sit here and say that we wouldn't be five and zero if Jacob Eason was a quarterback. I think we probably still would be because if if we're five and zero right now with just okay performance but from the quarterback position, I mean you're going to tell me that Eason if he, if he'd been playing these first five games that he wouldn't have at least performed at an okay level, the same level that Jake Fromm has performed at. I I, I don't I, I I think he probably would have. I think we'd still be five and zero. I mean is that is that fair to say? Yeah, I think it's very fair, and I think the biggest thing is, you know, um, I think Ethan right now, people may not think, I think this guy's got chip on his shoulder. I think he does, too. And, like, I don't know the guy. I don't. I really don't know him. And he's hard to read because he does. I mean, I will say he, he has that laid-back West Coast vibe about him, but you can kind of see it. You can kind of see it in his face a little bit when you watch him on the sideline. And I'll just, I know I would have a chip on my shoulder. You know, I mean, I, I was a guy who won the starting job coming the, coming out of the preseason camp, and I get hurt in the first what was first three drives of the game, and all of a sudden the true freshman comes in, this hot shot guy from Georgia, uh, in state guy who fans love because he's in state guy, and he's he's performed pretty well, but all of a sudden people are forgetting about you, and you're you're just chopped liver, and and you're yeah, nobody now. People are just saying you're tra- where now. Now year. the question is where just it's just simply where is Jacob Beeson going to transfer to? People are all all up about oh well, Jacob Beeson followed Washington State football. Oh my God, now he's transferring to Washington State. Like what? No, no guys, like no. I look I. I know Fromm is probably, and this will kind of go back to what I was talking to when we we're making the case for Fromm. I know Fromm has probably played better than Eason did through his first five games last year, and we are we are five and zero right now compared to three and two this time last year through five games. But as we talked about last week, and I mentioned a few minutes ago, you, when you're comparing last Eason last year to Fromm this year, you are comparing apples and oranges, guys. Fromm has thrown sixty nine passes through five games. You know how, many, how many passes Easton threw through five games last year, Kurt? I'd say probably close to 100. 151. Wow. 151. And what I and what that tells you is there is simply a lot more put on Jacob Easton as a true freshman than, than has been put on Jake Fromm's shoulders as a true freshman. Okay? Yeah, last year our defense was very unsettled. Um, offensive yep. line was worse. I mean. Yep. I mean, Fromm threw 29 passes at Notre Dame. He was 16 of 29. Threw 15 against Appalachian State, 13 against Sanford, 12 against Mississippi State and 15 against Tennessee. Easton threw 151 passes through five games last year. 50-plus, he was like 55 against Missouri. But still, that's a lot. And you're right. We had Our offensive line was a train wreck last year. We couldn't run the ball with any consistency. Our defense was okay, but certainly not dominant, and not the type of defense like we have this year that could be leaned on. And we simply have more playmakers this year. Okay, Wide receivers are more experienced. Javon Wims is a guy who didn't start. He didn't really get in the starting lineup until more than halfway through the season last year. He's been a starter from yeah, day I mean, one. I have to say, I mean, there's three throws in particular. I mean, that we know that Wims bailed, bailed from out. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And we didn't see much of that last year. Terry Godwin's a different player. Curry was all over him last year for not performing well in practice. But he's really turned the corner and been a, a definite weapon for us. you got Miko Harbin, who was in the – Basically, I mean, he wasn't redshirting, but he was essentially a scout team guy that you're trying to learn how to play defense. This year, however, he's he's one of our major weapons offensively, although he's got to work on catching the football. Uh, but still, he's an explosive weapon out there. You got you add DeAndre Swift into the equation. You got Isaac Nauta and Charlie Warner, who now as sophomores are more familiar with the system. They're ready to go out there and do a lot of different things. Jim Cheney, uh, all this experience, and now it's year two of Jim Cheney's system where everybody's kind of more familiar with the playbook and understands what to do. It's just comparing apples and oranges when you compare Eason as a freshman last year to Fromm as a freshman this year. It's a totally different scenario. And like I said last week, I will stick to this until we see what we got with Jacob Eason. You just don't know what Jacob Eason is right now as a sophomore. And to me, that's the biggest argument in his favor, is that there is a chance, I'm not saying for sure, but there's a chance that he could make us more dynamic and take our offense to the next level. I can't say with any degree of certainty that he can or will do that, but I, st- I think it is at least reasonable to think that it could be possible. I mean, after all, guys, there is a reason he won the starting job coming into the season. Am I wrong, Curtis? I, I, there's just There was a reason he won that job. And look, maybe Fromm is better than Maybe he gives us a better chance to win. I don't know. 
I just don't think we can sit here and say, well, Fromm is better right now than Jacob Beeson was last year. That's not the argument. We have to talk about who is the better quarterback right now. Who gives us a better chance to win games moving forward when we play the better defenses on our schedules that we really haven't gotten to? I mean, but let's be real. What kind of Has any defense we played this year been even a, really a top 50 caliber type defense? I don't think so. I don't think so. So I, I don't know, man. Like I, I really I can lean either way. I, I, I see the argument for Fromm. I see the argument for Eason. The thing is, we don't see what these guys do at practice. We don't know where Jacob Eason is as a sophomore. The only people who really have a good idea are the coaching staff and the team because they see him in practice. Okay, They know. So this is going to be up to Kirby to make that decision. I don't know. But wh- what direction do you think Kirby will lean in if you had to pick? What direction um, do you think, Kerr? I don't know, man. I really don't know. I mean, I think the fact is that I think he wants to play Eason. I mean, that's the guy he was comfortable with starting the season with. I mean, there was never a controversy starting the season to how there was with the fans. And I know uh, Fromm has done a good job, but, you know, if he had played like he had against Mississippi State, I think that decision would have been that much harder. But for Fromm to go out there and play like he did against Tennessee, and Kirby knows that there's going to be tougher road games and situations where we're going to need more. And that may have, you know, that may have given East open the door, uh, allowed Easton to definitely put his, not only his foot, but maybe his whole leg in the door to give him a shot. Well, let me ask you this. Clearly Easton was cleared to play because he did play in this game, right? Although it was late, he played in this game. So if he was cleared to play and ready to play and Kirby was playing on playing Easton moving forward and, and giving him the starting job back, why didn't he start this game? I think the biggest thing is... I, I can't answer I, that. I don't know. I've been trying to think. Like, I think it also has to do with Fromm's mind. I mean, you could say the same from Malcolm Parrish. Yeah, but I, I think it's a similar situation. I think Tyreek McGee has just played so well that we're not going to take him out of the starting lineup right now. And I think also the thing is, I think he wanted to see see what he had him from in a situation like this on the road. But would you risk it just to see what you have in him in the situation that's on the road if you're if the guy that you think is going to be your long-term starter down the rest of the, the season, down the stretch run here, if, if he's ready to play, why wouldn't you just start him? If you, if you I, really you know, think Eason's the guy. If he's, if he's just, I think it's more the thing of, I don't know if Eason's really gotten all the reps that he's really needed to be, you know, that's 100% fair. ready to go. I, yeah. I, I mean, they got him some, re- like Kirby said, it was only, he was in there for what, one, one series or something like that? I yeah. mean... Uh, but Kirby was just so, you know, he was glad that just get that much PT for him to try to get some wear off. I mean, I think the thing was, I don't think he, he thinks that Easton's so rusty that it wouldn't be fair to throw the kid into the fire. Yeah, he right did away. mention that. He said he used the word rusty. He said, I want to, I want to knock some of the rust off of him. And so maybe that was the fact. It's like, you know what? He yeah, had- I mean, I think it would have been unfair in all honesty if you go out there and, it's, and, you know, the way the fans are already so hard and down on Easton, if you go out there and he's rusty and then you throw him straight into the flames, yeah. And then he doesn't perform right away. I mean, it it would be you know how you know what I'm saying. Oh, absolutely. If you if you put them in there where he's not completely ready to play and he doesn't perform at a high level, and the fans they're just they're they'd be like sharks with blood in the water. They would just eat him alive, and that 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 could destroy the guy's confidence. It could it could put us in a bad situation. That could and that that would cause that a serious quarterback a controversy. Room, honestly, because you could have some people for this yeah. guy and some for that guy. Yeah, that and that's what I was concerned about. What I had been concerned about from the get go of the situation is the potential ramifications from like a, a team chemistry standpoint, okay? Because the worst thing could happen with this team, I think one of the only things that could really derail this team is a quarterback, a true quarterback controversy where the team gets divided, where you got some guys in this camp, some guys in that camp, and that is my concern. So I'm I'm very concerned with how, how Kirby handles this. I think the best case scenario, I think what he's going to have to do, I think the way to handle this, I think this is what Kirby is going to do because this is what he's about, is I think you have to make an open quarterback competition. I think at practice, whoever – performs better in practice. Kirby talks about this all the time. Practice means a lot to him. Whoever, whoever performs in practice is going to play. And I think the quarterback situation in that position has to be subject to the same rules. I think you have to say whoever performs better in practice, we're going to open this thing up, whoever does the better job in practice is going to be the guy who's going to start. I think that's what you have to do. Uh, and that's the only way to really handle it. I mean, is that crazy? No, I think that's the only way to handle it. I mean, I really do. I mean, it really—I mean—it's hard to see a lot of practice. Though it's the only thing because they don't face rushes. Well, yeah, you only see so much. You're right. You only see so much because pra- practice is—it's a totally different animal than the game. Okay, you're right. You only see so much. The quarterbacks aren't live. It's a different speed. You're going against the scout team. Although Kirby loves—I mean, I, I think our scout team is probably one of the better teams, in the, scout teams in the country, as Kirby mentions, because we have a lot of—we uh, have a great walk-on program, preferred walk-ons, and guys that are that are high-quality players. 
We got five. I think we got hit. We got five stars of Bob Zavimin playing on the, on the look team, the scout team right now. So give us a good look, but it's still not the same as actually playing a real opponent. So, I, but I think I mean, if you want to avoid having a kind of like a locker room divide here, you get simply got to open up and practice. That whoever plays the best in practice, performs better in practice, is going to be the guy who's going to get the job because the team will respect that. Okay, if you just give Easton the job back because he was the starter to start the season then that could open up the door for some controversy. But if Easton comes in practice and wins the job in practice, then I think the team would respond to that and respect that a little bit more. What do you think about – I've seen a few people mention this since since uh, the game Saturday night. What would you feel about a two-quarterback system where we kind of give both the guys a shot in the game, in, in, in like the Vanderbilt game, in, against Missouri, moving forward? It's difficult because every situation – has different circumstances. I just freaking hate the idea of a two quarterback system. I hate it. I've, I've hated I mean, it forever. Have you seen one work? I mean, it, rarely. The only time it even somewhat kind of maybe works is when you have guys that bring two totally different skill sets to the table. Yeah, but like that's you have not a what dual we have threat, here. And then you have right. a regular guy. Right. Like, go back to like the Tim Tebow and Chris Lee. Two different skill sets, right? Or if you go back to last year, I mean, I, I don't know why it's coming on top of my head, but Texas. Like, you got Shane Bouchelle and you got uh, Tyrone Swoops, right? You know, where one guy's the running quarterback, one guy's the throwing, the passing quarterback. Their skill sets are far too similar for for that to really factor into this situation for me. So this idea of like, okay, we're going to start one guy, let him play two series, bring another guy in for a series or two, and see who has the hot hand. God, I hate that, man. I, I just think that leaves the team hanging. I think that creates divide, discord in the team. I, I just think we've got, we've got to make a decision and probably got to base it off practice. And, and the only people who see that, again, are the coaches and the players. So it's going to be up to them, man. Uh, it's going to be something to watch here. Do you think do you think Fromm's gonna start against Vanderbilt? I would be. I think he'll start, and I think, but I think you'll see Easton get more than one series. Really, man. I don't. I yeah. I just. I don't know how to predict this one, man. I really don't. I if I had to if I had to guess, I would I would guess that Kirby's gonna lean in the direction of keeping Fromm in there right now. I think Kirby offensively is conservative by nature. I think he wants to do enough to win the game offensively, but and I, I think he's probably very cautious right now of messing with the chemistry that we've got going right now. I think that kind of plays in his conservative nature. And I, I think he's going to go with Fromm. I really do. Unless Fromm just starts making some really poor decisions consistently, then you might see Eason in there. I, do have to say, I think the way Fromm played against Tennessee did create some uncertainty in his head. Oh, you could – I mean, Kirby, like, like you said, when he missed uh, – when he didn't throw the, throw the ball to Sony on that wheel route in that first drive after that, after that initial interception, he was on the field in Fromm's face. Yeah, on the field. Fromm took for- – Kirby was right there. Yeah, and he and he he made sure to mention he gave him props for for playing well enough and for doing some good things to help us win after the game. But he also made sure to point out that he made some poor decisions and he's got to work on his decision making. And he bases his quarterback decisions on it and he grades them based on the decisions that they make. And so I, man, I wish I could, guys, I really wish I could handicap this for you. I really do. I just I think a case can be made for both of them. And I don't, I just don't, since I don't know what we have in Jacob Eason as a sophomore. It's just really difficult for me to make it, to, to come out here and say definitively one way or the other. I know that, that you probably want me to, and I, that's what I'm supposed to do here in a podcast, but I just can't, man. i, I got to be intellectually honest here, and I just I try to be as reasonable and as objective as possible. And until I know what we have in Jacob Eason as a sophomore, I, I can't really sit here and say one way or the other. I just I don't know. We'll just have to see how it plays out. All right, let's move on here a little bit. Let's talk about our shout-outs. Let's send out some shout-outs, Kurt. Uh, I'm going to start us off here. There's one guy that I want to make sure I, w- I want to mention before you steal him from me. And I want to give a big shout-out to my man Tyreek McGee, dude. I mean, Malcolm Parrish has been a two-year starter. He hurts his foot. And Kirby mentioned that it's one of the things that really hurt him the most coming into the season. So he knows how hard that Malcolm Parrish works. And Malcolm Parrish is just one of those great leaders in the team. He's a true team player. Um, and we, we that really kind of hurts from a depth standpoint in the defensive backfield. But Tyreek McGee has stepped up in a huge way. Makes a big pick to open up the game, breaks on that ball, makes a diving interception. But more than that, I mean, how many pass breakups? I mean, at least three pass breakups where, and more than one of them where he was beat and, and it showed good recovery speed, got back there, made a play on the ball, playing that bump and run technique, which again is, is one of the reasons why we've been able to be so effective against the run this year. Guys like Tyreek McGee playing like they have. So I'm, I definitely want to throw a shout out his way. I thought he played lights out against Tennessee. All right, who are you going to throw a shout out to? Um, I gotta go with Nick Chubb. Yeah, I mean, coming back to to, to Nayland, I mean, who knew how it would be? And you know, I thought he did pretty well. 
I mean, hundred yard game. I mean, he's tied Herschel now, right, for the most hundred yard games in Georgia football history from the running back position. I mean, it's just no Herschel at twenty eight. Yeah, he, I'm sorry, he has a tied. He's coming to second with Herschel, right? He's all, he's the there, only. He joined him in the twenty. The twenty rank. You're right. So he's the only running back along with Herschel Walker to have twenty or more hundred yard games in his career. So kudos, Nick Chubb, and just so like I said, just so happy for the guy, man. Come back off the injury, just just the person he is, and especially with all the the, the the noise around the Tennessee fan base and what they were saying about him, just for him to come back and do that, just just awesome, absolutely awesome. All right, my next shout out here is going to go to the headman himself, and I think it's the second week in a row, but I got to give a shout out to, my, to the man himself, Kirby Smart. Dude, the, the culture change in year two with this program, it can we say it's complete? Are we ready to say that yet? I'm not ready to say it's complete, but I. You do notice everything different from the, just the way the team warms up and the way they carry themselves. Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't I can't say it's complete because it's still only year two, but it is night and day from where it was last year. I mean, last year he was still beating these guys over the head with his with, with the culture he wanted them to have and trying to get them to buy in, and there there was some resistance. Okay, I mean, look, we saw a lot of guys transfer in the off season. But by the end of the season, those guys had bought it. And that's why you see guys like Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle and Devin Bellamy and Lorenzo Carr. It's a big reason why they come back, or were willing to come back. And when you have those leaders on this team, Kirby Smart has he has instilled a culture that these guys have fully bought into. And one of the things that I love more about this team's culture than anything is the fact that this is a like he has created the situation where it's a team led effort. Okay, it's where the the team, the leaders. Are, are doing the talking. They're the ones leading out there in the field. It's not coming down from the coaches. It's coming from the team leadership. He's done a great job kind of like basically kind of growing these these leaders, turning these guys into leaders, kind of shaping these guys into more vocal leaders and t- trying to get them to understand what it means to be a leader and how important it is for leaders to step into that role and to take this team over. Not for not for basically a situation where it's not the coaches having to tell players what to do. And to correct players, but where the team corrects players, where the leadership, where they correct each other, kind of the, the accountability, putting the accountability on the players themselves. And they have bought in full force. I'll give you one example. Well, Tyler Clark gets that personal foul, right? It wasn't, yeah, I mean, Kirby jumped this. in there eventually, but it wasn't Kirby from the get go. You had Tyreek McGee in his face. You had John John Atkins in his face. You had Dom Sanders in his face. You had all of those players, those team leaders in his face from the get go saying, dude, what are you doing? They handled it before Kirby even had to get in there. Now, Kirby got his piece in there too. But the players are holding each other accountable. And that's something Kirby Smart has created. That is something that was missing from our program for so many years. And, and like I said earlier in the show, how many times in the past have we faced teams who came into a matchup with us with their backs firmly against the wall? And they came out swinging, they threw a haymaker, and we couldn't respond. All right? Well, that wasn't the case this week. We were the ones coming out there. Their, Tennessee's back was against the wall, but we were the one coming out there throwing haymakers from, from the first snap. It's just a different team. It's a different mentality. It's a, it's, a, it's a different culture. And we're not all the way there yet, but, man, it, again, it's night and day from where it was last year, and Kirby Smart has just done a hell of a job getting our team to buy in in year two. So it's, it, I think it's only going to get better from here, no doubt about it. All right, who are you going with next? Um, you know, I want to give it to – I'm actually going to do it to two assistant coaches, but they're both on line scrimmage. You know, I think Sam Pittman has done a better job of getting this, this offensive line going. I mean, that was one of the biggest question marks going into the season, and he has really gotten them going. I mean, you know, plugging in – trying to plug people in and get some things in. I mean, he's he's gotten them in a lot better position to where they were last year. And then also on the defensive line, I mean, I think Trey Scott is not getting enough credit for what he has done with this defensive line. How good has this defensive line played, man? Are you I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, they played great. I mean, they they do their assignment, like you said. It's not like you know everyone's out there trying for glory. I mean, they're out there. He's gotten this group to buy in. I mean, even when Trent goes out, and I'll be honest, I'm still concerned about Trent because I think he is our best player up front. I mean, we have a lot of really good players, and they all do their job. But Trent's are clearly our most talented, most athletic player up front. So I'm just praying to God he, it's nothing too serious. But even when he goes out, a guy like Mikael Carter, who has not played much, okay, maybe just kind of mop-up duty more or less. He comes in. I thought he played really well, you know, considering the fact that he had not played much at all this season in in, meaning, in terms of meaningful snaps. I thought he came in and did a really good job uh, in that situation. So, I mean, just across the board, he's got these guys ready to play and to play at a high level. And sticking with that, 
Uh, well, uh, two things though. You you mentioned the, the two the two coaches there on the uh, lines of scrimmage with Trey Scott and Sam Pittman. I'm gonna give a shout out to the entire offensive line. I mean, this is probably a long time coming, man. Like 300, essentially 300 yards rushing, just a hair to 300 yards rushing. And look, Tennessee's defense is not great. They've got they've had some injuries there. Darren Kirkland's out. But they still have some big time recruits in that defense line. You still got Shy Tilly, still got Cleo McKenzie, um, you still got Darrell Taylor, you still got Kyle Phillips. Those are guys that are big time prospects. We we detail where those guys are. Those those are all top fifty prospects nationally that came out of high school. Jonathan Combo is the number one JUCO guy in the country when he came out of the JUCO ranks. So I mean, those guys are talented. And this offensive line rushed for almost three hundred yards against those guys and held our own. And that's what Solomon Kinley he played, but he didn't play the entire game. He was still kind of hampered by that ankle injury. So, I mean, kudos to those guys, man. I think our offensive line is significantly better than what we were last year. Okay? I don't think we, we, I don't think we have a, a fantastic offensive line by any stretch of the imagination, but we have, we have improved significantly from where we were last year. And you're right. I think Sam Pittman deserves a lot of credit. But those guys on offensive line, they, they deserve some credit as well for getting the job done. No doubt about it. Got any more shout-outs, man? No, that's it. I got one more here. Um, did I, I don't think I mentioned Did I mention Tyler Clark specifically? I don't think I did. So I'm, I'm just going to mention Tyler Clark. We talked about the we talked about the front seven in general playing really well, uh, and we got the whole defensive line playing really well. I thought Tyler Clark was a man on Saturday, especially with Trent. I mean, Clark's played great all year, but when Trent went out, Clark had to step up and kind of be the man on, on that on that front there, and he he played just absolutely lights out. I mean, borderline dominant. I mean, this guy was an afterthought. I don't want to say he was an afterthought, but in that in the, the recruiting class he came in last year. I mean, he, Mikael Carter was ranked higher than Tyler Clark was. Mikael Carter was a guy who was the Under Armour All-American, not Tyler Clark. Tyler Clark coming out of America's Georgia has really put on some good weight. He plays with great leverage. He plays with a ferocious attitude up front. There's one play uh, on Saturday where he got a tackle for loss. He just ate the offensive, lineman, the offensive lineman up, just got underneath his pads, played with outstanding leverage, and just kind of falls off of him and wraps up the, run, wraps up John Kelly for a perfect form tackle for a tackle for loss. I mean, just... He's played lights out all year. I mean, he, he could have gotten one of these shout-outs on any given game, but he, I thought he played really well, especially with Trent going out um, early, late in the first, early second quarter there against Tennessee. So definitely giving Tyler Clark a shout-out there. All right, let's flip it over to the other side here. I mean, we look, when, you, when we win 41-0, kind of like last week, you win, you win 31-3, you win 41-0, there's not too many shots to be fired in, at any one particular direction. Have you got any shots to fire out today, Kurt? Um, yeah, I actually got to do it Lamont Gilliard. You know, he had a uh, – he did pretty well well blocking but his snaps I mean you know there was that one where Fromm had to just take and run but other than that I mean he was it's a shotgun snaps he was high there was a couple of them he was he was messing up the timing of the plays yeah I actually mentioned that to my wife in the stands like you know it's not it doesn't look like a huge deal right now but when they're highlight that at some points and go over Fromm's head and that's going to be a problem he also had another snap infraction that's the third one on the yeah, year. Yeah, he did. Had another snap infraction. Look, he's played really well from, at the center at the center position from a blocking standpoint. But you're right, some of the snap issues like that, and it hasn't been anything crazy yet. But it could. I don't want to morph into something. I mean, it's a little high. It does throw off the timing with the mesh there. And you, I mean, well, I think I think that's the third snap infraction through five games, and that's just stupid. You can't have that. You just you cannot have. And that was actually I think that was down the red zone, wasn't it? The snap infraction. Yes. I'm pretty sure it was. And again, again, against a better team where it's a tighter game, when you're down the red zone and you get a snap infraction to put you back five yards, dude, you can't have that. You can't have that, man. You cannot have that at all. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's fair. Absolutely. Look, I gave him a shout-out, but I'm also going to fire a shot his way too, and that's to Tyler Clark. Uh, look, again, 41 nothing, so it didn't come back to hurt us. But you cannot have stupid personal fouls, all right? You simply cannot have stupid personal fouls. You saw Jeb Blazevich, right? So, Darrell Taylor gets thrown out of the game, although I think it was a bogus call. I don't think they, – they threw him out for fighting. I don't really think there was a, a punch really thrown there. Looking back at the TV copy, I watched it on my way home from the game. Um, but uh, but Blazevich didn't respond. He put his hands up and kind of pumped the crowd. Tyler Clark, though, responds. And, and look, that – it wasn't – it didn't turn out to be a huge deal because, again, we were just – we just destroyed them. But in a tight contest against a better football team, something like that could, could, could potentially be a much bigger deal. We just simply cannot have that happen. Cannot have it happen. All right, anyone else you throwing a shot towards? Um, yeah, you know, I want to take a shot at Booger McFarland when Boom. he's on Georgia football. Um, you know, the biggest thing is, you know, everyone's entitled to their opinion, but if you're going to say something, at least be right. Um, you know, he was saying the difference in Georgia football this year is at the quarterback position that we have a quarterback who doesn't turn the ball over, and that that is all Easton did last year was turn the ball over. And, Eight you know, interceptions. Eight interceptions. 
What? He only had eight interceptions last year as a true freshman. And that's what I'm saying. He played more games than Stafford. And like you said, through five games, he's thrown almost 90 more passes than Fromm did at this point. Yep. And, I, you know, I get if you, if you like Fromm more at the quarterback position, think he fits the system better. You know, I get that. But if you're at least going to talk Georgia football or talk football in general, at least have your facts right, man. Yeah, I mean, Eason was not great last year. I mean, we've been, I've said that many times. No, yeah, we, we said he had his faults in his freshman year. I mean, he was highly inaccurate. Uh, he had a lot of issues last year. Didn't put the ball where it needed to be a lot of the times. But he didn't. He was not a turnover machine. As a true freshman, 16 touchdowns, 8 interceptions. That's a 2-to-1 touchdown interception ratio. As a true freshman, when you, had, when you had no running game, had no offensive line, very few playmakers out wide, I think that's pretty darn good. I mean, it really, yeah, honestly. That's what I'm saying. So, I mean, you know, I get if you like Fromm Barrett's position, but at least have your facts right. Yeah, I mean, liking, I mean, saying Fromm is the answer, that's a reasonable position to take. I have no issue with someone taking that. Like I said, I, I understand the argument from both sides. But when you're just trying to, to tailor stats to fit your argument when it, it's completely ridiculous, it makes no sense. Come on. Like, that's, that's you're right. Just come in, like, do a little more homework. I mean, Eason was not, he had his faults last year, clearly. But yeah, he was like, not a turnover said machine. That more accurate, higher percentage. Then all right, that's that's fair, very very fair from where, sure. what you saw Easton last year. But turnovers, I mean, Fromm's had two turnovers and a fumble. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, so I mean, yeah, I just don't, I don't think it's fair to say Easton was a turnover machine. If if you want to criticize him, by all means, criticize him. He had, there's a lot of things you could criticize him for: leadership, getting guys in the huddle, um, his accuracy definitely. But man. Interception, he threw eight picks last year, okay? When he threw the ball, like I said, 151 times through five games to from, what, 69, something like that? Just, well, I think it's 69 for from. Let me look at that, make sure I got that right. Yeah, 69 times for from. It's just, it was just apples and oranges, different situations. Uh, all right, yeah, I got one more here. Uh, I'm, I, I got to fire some shots at the Tennessee fan base, man. I, I just got to do it. I got to oh, do it. No, I got one more after that. That's yeah, I just, I got to do it, man. Look. Every fan base has their knuckleheads, right? So I, I'm trying to like not use profanity here, so I'm going to be lame and say knuckleheads. Everybody has them, right? We have them on our fan base. They're, they're out there. But some fan bases have more of them than others, okay? They just make up a greater percentage of the fan base. And Tennessee is one of those fan bases. There are some perfectly classy Tennessee fans. There are plenty of them out there. But, man, dude, the vast majority of that fan base is just straight trash, okay? Whether it's the fraternity guys and what they were saying about Nick Chubb with those signs – whether it's them trying to shout him cities and start fights after the game with my wife and I innocently walking from the bar to the hotel with our heads down, not saying a word to anybody, not celebrating, not trying to antagonize anyone. Truly not. Just just shouting obscenities, talking, saying horrible things to my wife, just just ridiculous stuff, right? And, and we, we, we travel to every road game, so we're used to this kind of stuff. But just I got and, and also and I tweeted this out. I don't think it showed up on I don't know if it showed up on TV. At least when I watched the replay, it didn't show up on TV. But from where I was sitting, and you might have left by this time, Curry. I knew you had to get out of there. But late in the game, late in the fourth quarter, I think it was after we scored our touchdown, go up thirty-eight to nothing. There was a Tennessee fan that threw a full water bottle like, onto the field the ref by, like, by like inches. Yeah, like inches. Well, he, didn't even it. he didn't even notice it, but he missed him by inches. If you hit the ref, dude, like. That's assault. Like you're going, you should go to jail for that. And I know Tennessee's not the only fan base to throw things on the field, but I mean, I'm talking a like full water bottle chucked at a referee when you're getting dominated like that. I mean, just whatever, dude. I mean, just just take it like a man, all right? Just take it. You know, just deal with it. Yeah, you you got beat. You suck. Deal with it. Don't take it on a ref. The ref had nothing to do with that game. You just got beat. Just take it. So I mean, just just in general, just a pretty trashy fan base, man. And they did not represent themselves well at all. Like going to Notre Dame. I mean, we had just singing their praises. Just an incredible fan base, so classy. But that Tennessee fan base is the exact opposite. I, I still don't say they're the worst in the SEC. I will still maintain that South Carolina has, by far, in my opinion, in my experiences, the worst fans in the league because they have an inferiority complex. They've never been good in the history of their life. So when they had a couple good years on their spirit, they could not handle themselves, and they just lost their ever-loving minds. But uh, and they're just absolutely delusional. But Tennessee fans are not far behind. Just, just got a fire shot there. All right, you said you had one more. Yeah, I want to go with Cole Jumper over here ah. after the game being quoted saying, "I don't think they're as good as we made them out to be." Talking about Georgia, I mean, but are you just trying to say that y'all are just that bad? Then? Yeah, I mean, if we're not that good, then how bad are you? That's and that's my whole thing. I mean, we just went out there, we shut you out for the first time in twenty or. Er, since 1994, and then you want to just say that we're not as good as as we as we y'all made them out to be. So are you just trying to say that y'all are just that bad and pretty much fire the coach and that you shouldn't be starting things like that? That's just a lose mentality, man. That's plain and simple. Just a lose mentality. When you get your butt beat like that, 
you have nothing else to say. But well, they're not that good. We you know we just didn't play. It was, it was more about us. You know, you, they really aren't that good. They just beat us forty-one nothing. That's just a loser mentality, man. And that, that's who they are. They're just losers. That's just that's just what they are. Just deal with it, guys. Just deal with it. Deal with it. Forty-one nothing. Case closed. All right, guys. Well, Kurt, you got anything else, man? All right, well, that does it for us today here on the Glory UGA Podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed that win as much as we did. I mean, I lived that up. Just awesome to go into a stadium like that. I mean, I don't know, Kurt. Like, was for you, was the, was that game better than Mississippi State? Was that a more enjoyable experience for you? Yeah, because we were at their place and seeing it go from rocking to just dead silence. Yeah, nice. yeah. I, I, for me, I, I got to say that's – I mean, it's, it, for me, I thought it would be hard to top Mississippi State because that was just – because it was there was just no stress involved. We were we, we just came out from the get go and, and just took it to Mississippi State. But like you said, in Neyland Stadium in a rocky environment to start the game uh, against a hated rival team that I just simply have no love for whatsoever with trashy fan base like that, just to take it to them like that, man. Especially what after happened last year with the with the hail mary and how we lost there, uh, two years ago, also blown a huge lead. That was just uh, it was very satisfying. So it was awesome, guys. I hope everyone. Had a great time, whether you were there or watching at home. It was, it was, it's right now. It's, it's a great time to be a Georgia Bulldog. We just got to keep this rolling. Hopefully, we do not have a letdown against Vanderbilt. We'll be talking about that all week long. We're breaking that down for you guys. So make sure to check back with us later this week and send us uh, any questions or comments you have for this week's mailbag and hit us up at glory underscore UGA. You can also email that to us, gloryujapodcast at gmail.com. But thanks for listening, guys. We really do always appreciate that. For Curtis, I'm Tyler. As always, Go Dawgs!